Welcome to Act in Line, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. I'm Caroline Roberts, producer and host. When he was just 13 years old, Jimmy Lai escaped China to experience freedom in Hong Kong, and he grew to be one of Hong Kong's highest profile media moguls. Through his work, Lai founded the anti-Beijing newspaper called Apple Daily and became an outspoken critic of the People's Republic of China. This solidified him as one of Hong Kong's most important pro-democracy voices. In this exclusive interview, Acton's president and co-founder, Reverend Robert Sirico, speaks with Jimmy Lai about his entrepreneurial work and his bravery in the face of persecution at the hands of China's Communist Party. If you like this episode, don't forget to share it with someone that you know that you think would also enjoy it. And all the resources for this episode can be found at blog.acton.org, where we've linked stories about Jimmy Lai's work and how China is currently silencing those fighting for democracy in Hong Kong. What's the experience of a person who has lived under communism to now come to a place like Macau or Hong Kong? Well, I just remember the first day I went to, I went for breakfast and I never saw so many things for breakfast and uh, the food was there. And I was, I was, I was so moved. I was crying. So actually, you know, food is one of the freedom when you have food. Yeah. Sure. So you're no longer hungry. It's part of the freedom. But what is more more ex- exciting exciting was I was very poor. I had nothing. I had to work in a as an object worker in a factory. But I was so happy because the hope, you know, the hope of one day becoming something, of one day having my own family of one day have accomplishment, all the dreams. That was such a cherishing experience. So you're saying the whole atmosphere was different? What was very different was like, you know, in a different world. It was like that, you know, I was, was, you know, I was put in a different world. It's just like happened for me. Well, I I slept in a factory. I I I didn't have a place for myself, but I was so happy just because I can see that the freedom in society, the people who are surrounding you are giving you all the opportunities to prove yourself, to strive for something you want to be. And this is like a dream. It's called freedom. It's called freedom. Yeah. So you're you're in the 60s. You begin to work and to meet people. You're beginning to improve your English and right. you begin to work. You be, you're a natural entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about how you built your, your businesses. Well, first, I built my English. You know, I bought my book, a pen, a man, a pen, and a man, and I used the dictionary to learn English. That's why my, even today my English is, you know, doesn't pronounce exactly just because, you know, it's self-learning. Sure. Um, and then I worked in a factory, and I was lucky enough to know somebody who came from 
Germany to inspect the goods in the factory, and I was assigned to take care of her because I spoke a little bit English. And she actually later on gave me a job to work in her office. From there, I then became a salesman for a factory that I worked with from her factory because she is an exporter. And I had to work with the factories. And one of the factories assigned me as a representative, sales representative mm-hmm. in New York. And that's where so you come in New, to New York. York. Yeah, in 1969, I remember that year was uh, uh, the Rostock, uh, uh, the, the musical uh, Rostock, the, the, uh, the Woodstock. Woodstock. Yes. That's Woodstock, you know, 69. I, um, was, I was living in Brooklyn and invited by some friends to go to Woodstock. And I said, right. I think it's going to rain this weekend. <laughs> Did you actually go to Woodstock? No, that because we were about to go to Woodstock, we were on the way, but the New York gateway was closed. Right. In the middle of the way. You know, the gateway, I remember, I, made a, I don't know whether I remember wrong, because of the gateway, the New York gateway was, was closed, so we had to pack back. Right, yeah, no, the, the roads yeah. were full. So you're really yeah. kind of getting imbibed now in American culture. Yes. Where yeah, did, yeah. as a salesman, how do you shift from being a salesman to being an entrepreneur? Where where does that well, begin? I think anybody who's risked their life for freedom is an entrepreneur. Sure. Somebody who takes risks. Yeah. <laughs> There's no bigger risk to take than your life. No. Yeah. So you know, I I think that's that's the I think. Um, I think that, you know, the risk-taking is a very important part of being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just came natural after I escaped from China. And then you take opportunities that are in front of you. Yeah, I, you know, I took opportunities and uh, I always break, I always break the convention. You know, I always didn't follow what people do. I always thought, where's the problem? Not that what, how people are doing it. I always ask, what's the problem? If I can solve the problem, I'm taking one step forward. Right. I'm always thinking to ask people, what, what, what's the problem? I always thinking look for look through problems. And whenever I have a problem, I confront it. Even I don't solve it. I learn something from it. Mm-hmm. You know, so solving problem becomes a way of me going forward. So every day, if I solve a problem, I take one step forward. Mm-hmm. And eventually, <laughs> I went ahead. Mm-hmm. And you built a, a clothing retail business. Yeah. No, I, co- I, I actually built the, the garment factory. Oh, first the garment and, factories. Uh, yeah. When I, when, I was, uh, when I was 27, I had some money, so I started a very small factory, so-called factory, you know, we do, we, we do, uh, we do works for other factory actually, you know, as, mm-hmm. as, uh, uh, so, you know, just slowly and from a small factory, I become a small, you know, a, a, a bigger factory and eventually 
we became, well, if not the biggest, one of the biggest sweater factory in Hong Kong. But during that time, we were working for Polo, Ralph Roland. Right. And I learned a lot from them about how they merchandise the goods. So I thought, okay, maybe I can do retailing. And I went into retailing and built Giordano. <laughs> and that became one of the largest, if not the largest, sweater company yep. initially in the, Hong the, Kong. You could the, still the, see the, them. The, 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 the chain, the, 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 the retail chain. Right. You know, the largest in Hong Kong. Yes. I mean, originate from Hong Kong. And I had to close... I had to sell my retailing business when June 4th happened that I participate into the June 4th campaign. And this is what year? It it is uh, uh, 1989. 1989. Yeah, but the persecution from China did not come until a couple of years later, when I wrote a letter to condemn Li Peng. Li Peng and was the premier asked, of China at yeah, the time. Yeah, the premier. And, and they, they said that, well, we're going to close your Chinese store if you don't sell. So they gave me like five days and I sold it to, to the fund. And I, I, I left my, uh, my retailing business and went into the media business then. You know, I stopped the magazine and then I stopped the newspaper. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But it's interesting that in 1989, you are forced to sell your business because you're speaking out. Right, right, right. About I, I, well, you know, I, was, uh, I was supporting the, 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 the student movement. Right. Now, this is at the same time uh, that uh, the negotiations are going on for the handover of Hong Kong to right. Uh, right. Right. mainland China. Uh, yeah. What were those debates like from your perspective? I mean, here you are not just a Hong Kong Chinese. You are a mainland Chinese who's now living in Hong Kong and living right. Right. as a businessman. Right. What did you right. think about those things? Well, at that time, we were actually, a lot of people were scared and emigrant. And since I have business in China and in Hong Kong, actually in China business, we still have the factories there. We found the retailing store. So you were going back and forth from the mainland to Hong Kong? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, okay. remain in Hong Kong. So I was, I was very optimistic. Even though, you know, the June 4th massacre happened, but I thought that, you know, China, with the people so brave to confront the, the communists, we will be able to crack it. This was Tiananmen and, and Square. We're talking about Tiananmen Square. Yeah, just so Tiananmen that, Square. Yeah. yeah. So I was optimistic. I stuck around. And... Uh, and I, I uh, in uh, in nineteen in nineteen ninety, I had my magazines, and it was an overnight success. It's a magazine I launched because 
I saw the problem in the media business that everybody was so chicken out, so scared that they went into self-censorship to avoid offending the communists, the CCP. Yeah. So I said, well, if you all of you go into self-censorship, you leave a vacuum for me. So I launched the magazine as a positioned magazine to the to, to, to the Chinese communists, and then it was successful. So you're, you're, what I see is happening here is you're a, a man who has experience of entrepreneurship, of marketing, uh, and then you need another opportunity because the communists have cut off your your clothing business in effect. Right. They forced you right. to sell. And right. you decide rather than retiring to go into not just another money-making potential, right. but a protest, a, 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 a magazine that is going to be speaking truth to power. Right, right. Well, opposition, yeah. Because uh, yeah. I thought that if I deliver information, I'm in the, in the business of delivering liberty. Right. So, you know, I, I was so passionate about this business. And I also saw the problem of the market. It's a vacuum there. Because right. everybody was trying to, you know, get into self-censorship. Sure. So it's a good opportunity for me to go in. So it's a combination of freedom fighting and business yeah. opportunity. And entrepreneurship, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And at this point, you see potential for China to come out of its draconian, right. communist, closed mentality. Yeah. And yeah, what you're trying to wrong. do is push yeah. the society. I was pushing. Yeah, I, I, was, I, was, I was getting into the business. And then I, uh, I stopped the newspaper. And then I, I became the biggest newspaper. Then um, I stopped the newspaper in Taiwan to leverage my newspaper in Hong Kong, I thought that, you know, if I have a newspaper in, in, in Taiwan, which would give me a great leverage as, as a protection to my Hong Kong newspaper. If the Chinese communists want to crack me down, they have to consider my, my presence, my media presence in Taiwan because they want to Reclaim Taiwan also. Yes, sure. So, yeah, and that that was just, that's why you know we were in Taiwan also. Now, now we've talked about the business, and I want to come back to this because this is going to get us into some very interesting current events, things that are happening right, right now. Right. But at some point along this journey of coming to Hong Kong and seeing the West and building businesses, uh, you undergo a spiritual conversion. Well, when the turnover of 1997 was approaching, a lot of people told me that if they have to, to arrest a dozen people, you'll be one of them. And maybe I was in fear, maybe subconsciously at least, you know, because I, I did not, I did not feel the fear of considering or migration, considering anything. And then naturally, I convert to Catholicism. 
What, what were the influences for that? I think my, my wife is the biggest influence because my wife is a very devout Catholic. And, uh, and I think that's, her, that's the main reason. You saw her life, you saw her prayer. Yeah, yeah. I went to, you know, I, I, I went to uh, church with her every Sunday. Um, but I never thought I would convert. The time wasn't there. But until 1997, it all, all of a sudden it became so natural that I convert. And after conversion, I was even more of myself doing what I want, what I think is right. And everything becomes so natural. I've been fighting for freedom. I've been fighting for democracy, but I never was thinking that I was doing this for the society or I was doing this for somebody. I was doing this for, for, for a, 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 a mission. And I never thought about this. Everything was just as I was doing it, as I should do it, and never thought about whether yeah. I'm doing it for the society or anything else with the notion that I know what I'm doing is right, but you can never for sure what you're doing is right. You could be wrong also. So that humility no. keeps me within my own pers perspective uh, of fighting for freedom. Are, are you saying that at some point with this natural kind of, you just kept taking the next step, right. Uh, right. combining step. your love of freedom with your entrepreneurial technique, but right. then your conversion to Christianity gives you a, right. a coherent view, a philosophy of exactly. what you're doing and why you're doing it. And some strength, some comfort. Yes. Some, some knowingness. I don't know how yeah. to express it. Some yeah. knowingness. Something that you just feel that is the right thing to do. Yeah. That yeah. is what I am. You sound that like is what I am. Saint Augustine describes this. He says, um, uh, "Oh, beauty ever ancient, ever new." Uh, he yeah. he finds something that is new, but that was ancient to him, and that the new Maybe, yeah. uncovers this beauty. When did you meet Cardinal Zen? Cardinal Zen is Cardinal another Zen, of the great. Uh, I, when I convert, Cardinal Zen was a priest who converted me. He was at that time a bishop. Okay. We, we should say who Cardinal Zen is. Uh, most people right. who will have followed uh, the <laughs> protests know that Cardinal Zen was, was like you. I mean, he's another one of the ones speaking very forcefully about right, right, freedom right. in China. Yeah. yeah, that's why we are such close friends. Yes. Uh, and right. he's been very yeah. outspoken and critical of the church's position. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He's very mad about this. Yeah. He, you know, he, he always say that, you know, the Vatican sold out the underground church. Mm -hmm. And this is true. And he's very sad and very mad about this. 
Do you see some threats to religion in Hong Kong now? Have they begun? I know the business and anti-protest things. What about religion? I think religion definitely is under great pressure. You can see that a lot of priests, you know, even uh, some bishop, they are very pro-China. They, you know, they speak for they speak sometimes for the Chinese. Even our other cardinal is very conservative, always always trying to avoid offending China. The only one who speaks against China is Cardinal Sen, you know, and that's why he and the other cardinal are not, you know, are not good friends. You know, they they they. I, I'm not sure whether they speak to each other. Definitely, always trying to avoid offending China. The only they are very pro-China. They you know they speak for they speak sometimes for the Chinese. Even our other cardinal is very conservative, always always trying to avoid offending China. You know, they speak for they speak some bishop. I think religion definitely is under great pressure. You can see that a lot of priests, you know, even uh, some bishop. They are very pro-China. They, you know, they speak for they speak sometimes for the Chinese. Even our other cardinal is very conservative, always always trying to avoid offending China. The only one who speaks against China is Cardinal Sen, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why he and the other cardinal are not. You know, I'm not good friends. You know, they, 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 I, I'm not sure whether they speak to each other. Definitely, they are not, they are in a lot of hats. Yeah. I, I think when we first met, we were, you know, at this point where we still thought China could come along. Uh, right, the, right. There are opportunities, and now these recent clampdowns. Um, right. So you are now the. CEO of a media empire in the middle of this right. transition, China right. um, takes over the what would say the governorship of Hong Kong. Well, I think China used to be in the back, right, with an invisible hand. But you know that you know he's pushing for more control of Hong Kong people. Now China. With the Article Twenty Two, right? They re- misinterpreted, or they just interpret in a different way, saying that the liaison office and the Hong Kong and Macau office are not the department under the Chinese government, <laughs> right. because according to the Article Twenty Two. No department of the Chinese government can involve in Hong Kong's affair. So they just say that no, these two department are not under the Chinese government. They are right. not the subsidiaries because when so they, they they come in front and dictate Hong Kong's governing. Right. governing. When the takeover, uh, the handover took place, there was an agreement for yeah. fifty years. Yeah, for basic law. The basic yeah. law. 
and that yeah. the they would be two two nations, one one nation, two systems, one nation, two systems, and yes. they begin slowly to interfere to violate. The so law. you wrote the freedom to violate it. You know they use they use. Article 23, well, we don't go into detail because it's complicated. Sure, sure. You know, in, in, in 2003, and trying to suppress our freedom, half a million people went out and protest. They withdrew it. And then slowly, they just, they never cease in eroding or encroaching on our freedom and rule of law. There's the Falun Gong and other and, protests yeah. that begin happening, and they begin mounting in about 2005. Yeah, they read, they read, they read it. They read it. They remain on their promise of giving us universal suffrage. So we explore into the umbrella movement. I hear that you provided a lot of umbrellas for that movement. <laughs> yeah, 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 and then uh, we, so we fell, and then they, they try to, uh, uh, you know, try to control the elections, you know, the local elections. They just, and then after they kill our our legislators, you know, the young legislators, more radical ones. Um, and then came the extra, extradition law. This was the real spark. Two million people came out. Yes, this is yeah, the real so, spark now. Yeah. To, so the, 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 after six months, millions of millions of people went out to protest it. They withdrew it eventually. Now, because they fell on the, on the extradition law, which can arrest us and ship it to China for trial. Now they use the Hong Kong version of national security law, which means they can always arrest, accuse us of sedition, subversion, whatever, you know, say. And then try you in, in China. Well, it doesn't it hasn't set the child child in China, but the law is a Chinese law. Yes, that means it supersedes our 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 okay. basic law. Yeah, and the whole law was imposed on us on us, surpassing our legislation legislative council, just imposed on us. So that means our rule of law is destroyed. So will be the financial center of Hong Kong status. Sure. Because without the rule of law, there's no financial center because right. people doing business here will not have protection by the law. Right. Instead, they have to bribe the official who have power over them to protect them. Just like in China, just like in mainland. Just like in China. And also without the rule of law, Right. There won't be mutual trust. Without yes. mutual trust, the financial transaction in seconds 
of millions of millions of dollars could not it be possible. It evaporates. So it totally destroyed the, the financial center. So this is here. a whole bunch of things that freedom can't be uh, compartmentalized to just freedom of speech or freedom of religion. Once yeah. it affects enterprise, it affects everything else. Uh, exactly. In, now, exactly. Um, you became more and more public. I mean, you were already public in, in publishing the petition of Hong Kong status. Sure. Because without the rule of law, there's no financial center because right. people doing business here will not have protection by the law. Right. Instead, they have to bribe the official who have power over them to protect them. Just like in China, just like in mainland China. Just like in China. And also, without the rule of law, right. there won't be mutual trust. Without yes. mutual trust, the financial transaction in seconds of millions of millions of dollars could not it be evaporates. possible. It evaporates. So it totally destroyed the, the financial center. So this is here. a whole bunch of things that freedom can't be... Uh, compartmentalized to just freedom of speech or freedom of religion. Once yeah. it affects enterprise, it affects everything else. Uh, exactly. In, now, exactly. Um, you became more and more public. I mean, you were already public in, in publishing the petition uh, yeah. and protesting. I remember photos of you at the, I guess it was the um, Yellow Umbrella March. Right, were, right. You were in front right. of that. Um, yeah, I was, I was there every day. I have come to visit you in your home any number of times over the years, but the last visit, I remember you sent your car to the hotel to take us to visit you. And as we were driving up your street, I was writing something or looking at my phone, and all of a sudden there was these lights around me, and I didn't know what they were, and I realized they were paparazzi. Uh, yeah. And so I thought, oh, well, we're going to the home of a very famous man. So they want to see who the guests are. And we we went in. And then uh, at dinner, you said, well, these are the Chinese police. These are right. just... Well, I, they work for them, at least. Yes, you know, be, yes. Because they've been, they've been there seven years. Yes. The first two to three years, 24 hours. Otherwise, it's seven, you know, eight o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock every night. And they follow me everywhere I go. Uh-huh. And uh, they, I, I'm sure when you left our house, they follow you to the hotel. Right to the hotel. But, but here's what I did. When I got out of the car at the hotel, they had surrounded us. Right. And usually yeah. in that circumstance, you want to get away from them. I walked over to them. And I right. said, uh, I oh. want to introduce myself to you. And I want you to, you know, of course, they didn't speak a word of English or at least pretended not to. And then they ran away. Once I went to them to try and engage them, they didn't want to be discovered for who they were. Yeah, they just they just want to know who visited us. Yes. And intimidate people right. who came to visit us. Yes. So nobody dares to visit us. But That's now, what they want. Now, things have gotten much more serious and personal right. with you. Uh, right. especially with the the whole extradition protests. Right. How many times have you been arrested? I've been arrested uh, three times. I'm a, you know I'm I have a uh, I have a, at least three to four cases, court cases pending, and it's very likely that you know I will have to go to prison. I don't know for how long. I just I was just in court this today. 
until quite late. Today, you know, I yes, just today, you know, I was in court hearing today、uh, for unauthorized assembly. Uh, so it is almost certain that they will, they, they, they will, they will put me in jail. And this is being directed by mainland China. Well, you never can prove it. I'm sure it's this directed、sure. by mainland China, but you can never prove it. You know, because for before for illegal. Or an authorized assembly, all they do is to to penalize you for two thousand dollars Hong Kong or one thousand. You know they just you know you just pay and that's it. Now I'm not allowed to travel. I'm not allowed to travel, and、uh, they make it a big business. You know what they do recently? They arrest fifteen. Prominent dissidents, right? For illegal assembly, I'm one of them. Just to intimidate the people, everybody else, yes. Everybody else who is moderate, who went on the street to protest, yes. So if they can frighten this two million or more people, wouldn't dare to go on the street to protest again. So they can isolate those radical young men、mm. and handle them. Is it working?、And、that's the way. Is it working? Yep. Is it working? Are they intimidating? Yeah, I, I, I think I think what is working is the national security law is actually frightening a lot of people to be more careful. So that's why, again, the most hit the subject or search keyword in Google in social media is immigration. People are finding ways to immigrate, and luckily we have Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, say to us that they he will give us. Up to three million BNO holders, the British right abode, right of abode. Right. And this, I think, is a very great encouragement for people who start to fight. And if they can't win, they can they can have some place to go. Right. So then, in the middle of all this, a few months ago, our Newspapers and television screens were filled with these huge demonstrations, even in bad weather.、Uh, and then everything shifted with the coronavirus. And、right. this is not unconnected, obviously, to China. I mean,、uh, no. it, oh. <laughs> tell us. You, you draw a, a fabulous connection between the virus itself and the lack of freedom. And what happens when people don't have freedom? Draw,、uh, draw that picture for us. Well, I, President Trump, your government is threatening to boycott 
and punish the Chinese for the spread of the coronavirus. I think that is very good. But I think the best thing to demand from China is for the CCP to give the Chinese people the freedom of speech. Because if China had the freedom of speech, the first doctor who discovered the virus, Li Wanliang, would have aired the news in the social media, and people would have taken measure to protect themselves, and the government would have forced to contain that small area which is virus infected. Right. The world would have saved all the lives, the millions, millions of jobs, billions and billions of dollars, and the sufferings. So the freedom of speech is no longer an internal affair of China if without that, the world will be threat. The world, the people's life, the well-being, the wealth will be threat. Right. This is an international affair. Yes. The international community has the right to demand that freedom of speech be given to the people to avoid the same thing happen again to the world. Because China is one of the major origins of virus. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to see your ability to have this holistic vision, this comprehensive view of freedom of enterprise, freedom of speech, freedom of travel, uh, the freedom of religion, to have a coherent view of the whole and how this is not just Chinese, but this is global. But this is Western. That's why we are formed in Xi Jinping's eyes. It's because we share the same value as the West. Yes. We are a bridgehead of the Western value. And that's why we are so precious as a small island, because as a bridgehead of the Western civilization's value, we can actually spread that value to influence the Chinese in China. So we'll change the attitude of the Chinese when they deal with the outside world. The world will not have peace if China imposed the value when dealing with the, the outside world. Mm. And also when they become the biggest economy in this world in the world, which they must become, because they have they're so big, they have so many people. Yes. So if now we don't confront instead of peace of appeasing China, we will have a world without peace in future. That's why President Trump can change China now when China is still not the biggest, especially now when China after the coronavirus, its economy is at its worst. The Chinese government is facing a world which 
scrutinizing everything they do now. They don't trust the they don't trust the the Chinese as they did before, thinking that the Chinese when they get rich, they will become more like us. No, they become more different from. Thank you for listening today. If you like this episode, help us bring more attention to the show by sharing it with a friend or leaving a comment wherever you're listening. If you have a question for our team or feedback for the podcast, you can reach us at actonline at acton.org.